I want to be clear that the fact that we had one night in which we did not fight and talked in his room for a couple of hours did not mean that Rick and I never fought again. But it was a turning point. And it turned out it was the beginning of a real shift in our relationship. And Rick and I actually really like each other. We even love and respect each other. Um, but you never would have known that from looking at us as children. I think back on what my parents went through with Rick and me as kids, and I wish there could have been a way for them to know back then how Rick and I are, are now. It would have been very comforting for them. It would have reduced a lot of their stress to know, oh, Jane and Rick, they're going to be fine, because we are. In the same way, we can lead very stressful lives. We can feel a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety. There are a lot of things in our lives that we may wonder, how is this ever going to work out? How could this ever be resolved? And it would be so great if we knew, oh, it's going to be fine. In fact, it's going to be really good. Today's scripture passage is God ending the sacred Bible, letting us know it's going to be really good. The ending is great. So I want to reflect with you on this book of Revelation, uh, look at ways it's been interpreted over the years, sometimes for real benefit, but sometimes in ways that I think haven't been very healthy for us in the human community. And then to look a little more in depth about what it's showing us, about what God is doing in our midst and how the story ends. So the Revelation to John is an unusual book. There's only one of them in the Bible. It's not like any other kind of literature. The technical term for it is it's apocalyptic literature. It is literature that gives, that reveals a little glimpse of something in the future or a little glimpse of something God is doing. So it's not like reading the history books and the Hebrew scriptures or the gospels that are telling the story of Jesus or the letters sent out to the various churches. It's kind of a different animal. It's a series of letters to the different churches and then a series of visions that John of Potmos receives. And it ends with the passage I read to you today. And you can start a little bit earlier in 21 if you want to get kind of the whole beautiful image of the New Jerusalem. But this is how the story ends. Before that, there is a lot of stress and a lot of, there's wild beasts, there's a dragon, there's the whore of Babylon, there's, you know, a lot of story about tribulation and suffering. And so, uh, over the years, people have read the book of Revelation, and some people have been just kind of frustrated and disgusted, and they throw it out, and other people read it and find great hope. In its original time, it was written in the midst of a time uh, in the early Christian church where there was a lot of persecution of Christians, and uh, this persecution was coming from the Roman Empire. Rather than write about the Roman Empire, uh, which could have gotten Christians in trouble, they referred to Babylon. Now, any Jew would have known, oh, we know Babylon. That's the country that vanquished us. That's the country that took us into exile. We know Babylon is the place of corruption and suffering. So the, the first readers of the Revelation to John would have read all these things about Babylon and thought, oh, okay, this is about the Roman Empire that is oppressing us now. So that's kind of the first meaning of the book of Revelation. 
But then time passed and people continued to read the book of Revelation and, and feel meaning in it and feel power for their current situation. To me, the challenge of that is there also tended to be there was a tendency to look at the book of Revelation, think about whoever your enemy was, and then decide that the evil Babylonian empire is your enemy. So over the years, people have said, oh, Revelation is about king so-and-so, or oh, Revelation is about this corrupt pope. In the era of the Protestant Reformation, there were people who said that Revelation was about the Roman Catholic Church and the whore of Babylon was the Roman Catholic Church. Probably not a really helpful way to talk about other Christians. That's the danger of the misuse of the book of Revelation. We've kind of used it to demonize our enemies. And so you come up into the 20th century, I remember in the Cold War, there'd be materials about the book of Revelation. Well, everyone knows that's about the USSR and communism. Hello. Well, then after communism fell and the USSR fell, then suddenly, well, I think now people think it's about China. So, okay, see, read the book of Revelation. It's China. And again, we want to read the Bible. We want to see what God is saying for our time. But to read it, in other words, in to use as kind of fodder for demonizing whoever our political enemies are. Not sure that's super helpful for us in our Christian lives. And so some people have kind of avoided the book of Revelation because of people getting obsessed with 666 means this, and the beast is that, and the dragon is this, and the, you know they're trying to make it into an allegory and stuff present-day enemies into that. I don't know that it gets us very far. Setting that aside, though, there is great power in focusing on how the book of Revelation ends, because it ends in ways that are rather surprising. It ends in ways that don't fit a lot of our current ways of imagining the end. You know, in so much contemporary uh, science fiction and a uh, lot of contemporary uh, content, TV, and movies that we watch, the end of the world is a fireball. It's disaster. It's the big cataclysm, and everyone dies, and that's the end. What does the book of Revelation tell us? It tells us that it'll be beautiful, and there will be water, the river of life, and there will be the tree of life, and there will be fruit. And here's the wild thing. It's not the big cataclysm nor is it, get me out of here. Now, again, anyone who's watched Star Trek knows the kind of joke about beam me up, Scotty. The Star Trek crew would go out and visit various places, and then they were done, get me out of here, beam me up, Scotty. That got into our kind of popular culture language about times we just want to be delivered of something. You know, we're sitting dealing with something we don't want to deal with, beam me up, Scotty, get me out of here. The book of Revelation tells us that the end of the world is not God abandoning this world or junking this world. It's God making all things new. God doesn't make all new things. God doesn't say, that was a mistake. God renews creation, and the holy city Jerusalem descends from heaven, and we have a new heaven, a new place of wholeness on this earth. God doesn't junk this earth. God loves this earth. God renews this earth. It is a place of beauty and power. 
and the presence of God. What a beautiful image that is and how counter that is to all of the violent images we receive in popular culture about the end of the world being violence and death and mayhem. No, the book of Revelation tells us the end is beauty. So what is this place like? It's amazing. There's no temple there because God is so present. You don't need to go to some place to feel like God. God's right there. In fact, you won't even need the sun to give us light because the radiance of God will be our light. And there won't be any nighttime, so we won't need the moon to reflect back the light of the sun at night because there'll be no darkness. So the fearfulness of night, the scariness of that part of the day when a lot of danger happens, that won't happen. That'll be gone. We will be living day by day in the radiance of God's presence. Don't need to go to a temple. God's right here. Don't need lamps. God's right here. We live in the radiance of God. That's what it's going to be like. And it's a land of plenty. There is a river in the center of the city and the water is fresh and clear. There isn't any pollution. There's no plastic straws getting stuck around the, the banks of the river. It is clear and fresh and clean. And that will be the water, the fluid we need to survive. And there will be abundance. The tree of life will be on the sides of the river and the trees will have fruit. And not just one season of fruit, but fruit every single month. There will be continual harvest of fruits from the tree of life. The image of the end of the story is an image of plenty, of purity, of joy. And there are gates to the city, but here's the wild thing. They never close. So the gates aren't there to keep people out. They seem to be entranceways. And we read that the kings and all the nations will stream into the city. So this isn't a story of God abandoning earth. It's God renewing earth. It isn't a story of exclusivity where we're kicking out uh, people. It does say that there will be nothing accursed in that city. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> there is renewal. There is grace in this final day. There is plenty from the trees of life. This is an image of what the end will be like, an image of hope and wholeness. Can we lead our lives differently knowing that that's the end of the story? Justa Gonzalez is a, a theologian who has written extensively about the book of Revelation, and he tells about how his father-in-law loves reading mysteries. His father-in-law was a huge fan of mysteries, but he does a funny thing. When he gets, when he is going to start a new mystery, he reads the last chapter first. His father-in-law wants to know how it's going to end. And after he reads that last chapter and he finds out who done it, then he goes back to the beginning of the book and reads all the rest of the mystery knowing how it's going to end. And he really enjoys hearing, uh, seeing those different cues that were all the way along showing course the butler did it, or of course the so-and-so did it. You can see how all those clues lead up to the ending. And for him, reading mysteries is much more pleasurable, knowing how it's going to end. 
We lead lives that can be full of stress and anxiety. We lead lives that can have a lot of fearfulness, things where we don't know how it's going to turn out. We're afraid. There are times when we cannot imagine peace among warring parties, whether that's the warring parties of siblings like Rick and me, or the warring parties out in uh, our political life. Uh, you know, if we think about the broad sweep of history, think of how many times political enemies eventually made peace. And think about how kingdoms rose and fell, and rose and fell, and God cared and was over it all. Brothers and sisters, we don't know every little step of what's going to happen as we come to the end of time. But we do know that the end of time is in God's hands and that it'll be really good. There will be beautiful flowing water. There will be beautiful, fruitful trees. God will be so close to us. We won't need to go to some building to feel close to God. We won't need external lighting. We won't even need the moon. We'll be in a place of grace and peace and light and hope. May that knowledge of the beautiful, powerful, loving image of the end of time May that strengthen us and encourage us in the anxieties and fears of the present day that we might let go of those a bit and walk in faith and hope. Amen.